Yes, indeed. There's still stuff to talk about, even after a whopping 40 minutes of answering your questions yesterday. So we soldier on into part two of this special edition solo podcast. Welcome on back to Salt City Hoops. Uh, I'm Dan Clayton. Hopefully you caught part one already. We delved into questions from the masses, starting with stuff about Hayward and the Jazz's point guard situation, as well as the likelihood of the Jazz adding a star free agent this summer. Uh, It turns out, though, either I talk slow or you all have a bunch of questions because we barely got halfway through the list. And so here I am back to power on through with you. Uh, If you missed part one, basically these are questions, um, either questions that people sent me when I specifically called out and asked for questions, or some of them are just the most common questions that I've been getting. So uh, we'll get back into the list. Um, And let's start by discussing trade chips. Like what are the Jazz's trade pieces? Because I've I've gotten a bunch of specific questions about that. Um, I guess before we get to the questions on that, the, the thing I'd say high level is obviously the Jazz are not trading Rudy Gobert and they can't trade Gordon Hayward, George Hill, or anybody else who's going to be a free agent. So um, <clears throat> Sheldon Mack, Jeff Withy, Joe Ingles, also untradeable. Um, what that leaves them with, if you think about kind of guys that they can legally trade, the guys who are trade pieces and, and are chips going into, for example, the draft here in a couple of weeks, are Derek Favors, Rodney Hood, Alec Burks, Trey Lyles, Dante Exum, Joe Johnson, Boris Diaw, who we'll talk about in some detail in a minute about why his contract is so valuable, Haul Neto, Joel Ballenboy, and any of a number of draft picks that the Jazz are holding on to. So let's talk about those guys. Joseph Horner, uh, when when he and I were talking a, a few days ago, uh, he wondered aloud, what is Favors' value around the league? So let's start there because... You know, I think that's interesting. And I had said when the Jazz were approaching the February trading deadline that that to me their deadline was going to come down largely to a question of Derek Favors and and how they felt about him and and where he fit in the future. And I think some of those questions linger, right? Because um, while he's still really good when he's really good, and I mean, you know, the Jazz don't beat the Clippers without Derek Favors playing that way. Um, At the same time, there are positional questions and and Quinn Snyder seems to have some hang-ups about using him with Rudy um, maybe those hang-ups were just a, a function of where favors was at physically but but I think that's a valid that, that's a valid question going forward is how the jazz think about favors and then to Joseph Horner's point what is favors value around the league I think it's safe to say that favors value around the league is is probably lower than it's ever been. But generally speaking, I'm I'm one of those people. I don't think that I don't think that people overreact too much to a short-term health situation. If Favors had a torn ACL, if if he'd had microfracture surgery, if he had one of those things, then I I think that the trade value you I think people would react differently to that. Instead, he's a 25-year-old guy who had some back pain, some knee pain, some tendonitis, a bone bruise, right? Like those are things that the players get better from, and certainly that twenty-five-year-old players get better from. And in fairness, Favors is going to turn twenty-six in in July. He's going to turn twenty-six before he plays another basketball game. So we can, you know, but still, twenty-six-year-olds in general get better physically. 
Um, I think teams out there that still believe in what Favors can do when he's healthy um, would probably be enticed by the opportunity to maybe buy a little low on Favors, but but I don't think the market on Favors has dried up entirely. Joshua Johnson asked, what's the value of Rodney Hood around the league? And, you know, honestly, I think that the answer there is similar. Um, first of all, I think it's a really interesting question, right? Because Hood, um, you know, for those first couple of seasons, people talked about Rodney Hood like he had all-star potential, and maybe he still does. Although I think what we've seen with Hood is we see him for a month or two at a time really play at a, at a special level where he's almost you know the term i've used is hayward light um or at least hayward light before hayward took this new step up this last season um but rodney has had you know 15 game stretches um 20 game stretches he's had two month stretches so like 30 games where he'll average 18 points and four rebounds and three assists. And again, those are like, those are almost Hayward-esque numbers. The problem is that when he's not averaging those, he's averaging, you know, 12 a game for a month with 30% shooting from three and sometimes not very great defense. And sometimes if he's not making shots, he's not, you know, as involved in other in other facets of the game. So, you know, I think that's the tricky thing with Hood is it becomes a, an exercise of, you know, who it, who is he really? Is it just a matter of, because let's be fair, I mean, he, he just finished his third season and Gordon Hayward was still struggling with consistency issues three seasons in, right? So are there teams out there that believe in that Hayward light version of Rodney Hood being more of a sign of where he's headed as a player? Um, and I don't have a hard time believing that, by the way. He's a little older than Hayward was at this point in his career, but it's not unheard of for for players three years in to show really good signs and then disappear for a little while, but, but still largely be on the path toward being a good player. So I, I think that's what it's going to come down to with Rodney is how many people believe in um, believe in his path to being a, a really an, an impact player. Another trade related question came in from Mark Wallen, who probably a lot of you know. He's a pretty prolific uh, jazz tweeter and also podcasts as well, I think. Uh, he asked about what the cost would be for dumping Alec Burks. Um, first of all, kind of sad that we're at a point where we're talking about dumping Alec Burks, who was drafted back in 2011 and for a lot of years was considered, you know, to be. Part of the core and then after that maybe at least a, a really valuable role player um i think the reality is the jazz are probably looking to move burks i think just salary wise it, it you know it, it's hard to make the numbers work with his uh with his salary in there so i think they will look at, at dumping you know for lack of a better term dumping that salary um he has just over 20 million left owed to him and if you look historically at what it usually costs teams to trade dead salary, it's it's about a, a first round pick for every ten million of salary dumped. So so now the question becomes: Are there teams out there that view Burks as more than just dead salary? Right? Is there a team that's interested in Alec Burks, the player? Because if that's the case, maybe they don't need to be 
coaxed with you know a draft pick per 10 million maybe they maybe they would take him on for just a single first round pick maybe they would take him on for just a second round pick maybe there's a team out there that you know is is interested enough in in rehabilitating Alec Burks and and getting some value back out of Alec Burks that they would you know take him without demanding an asset so um i don't know the answer other than to say that you know there's there are teams out there that value the types of things that Alec Burks does well. Um, now he didn't do a lot well this last season, so you know that's the that's the snarky response to to that point. Um, but if you still believe, you know, like look, like think about Sacramento, they're gonna wind up with something like fifty million in cap space, and I'm not sure how they're gonna spend fifty million in cap space. Now. Now think about who their wings are, right? Garrett Temple, uh, Buddy Heald, Malachi Richardson, Ben McLemore. Um, actually, I think McLemore is a free agent. I can check on that. Yeah, McLemore is a restricted free agent. <clears throat> there are teams that that probably need to spend some money. Now, will those teams be willing to spend that money right up front as as uh, you know the draft comes and as free agency starts? Maybe not, because they might want a chance first to talk to the the guys who are available as free agents. But as July rolls on, I do think the Jazz will have a chance to talk to some teams who are interested in the idea of hey, we've got to pay someone. We might as well have it be a guy who's been in the league for a few years who can score off the dribble and who maybe if he gets back to where he's averaging 12 or 13 a game could have some value for us later down the line. Um, so so if the Jazz don't deal with the Alec Burke situation you know, before free agency, don't be surprised. That might just be them keeping the option open because they realize that he could become more attractive to teams after they swing and miss with, uh, with some guys higher on their priority list. Um, all right, so that's Alec Burks. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hit some other jazz questions quick before we go into this sort of lightning round about a bunch of a bunch of specific questions I got about players around the league. Uh, so sporadic regularity asked, at what point money wise do you say no to Joe Ingles? Um, Joe's a restricted free agent, um, although he has not indicated a huge amount of interest in going out and shopping around. Like he may just take the Jazz's first offer if the offer is fair he seems to like it in utah he seems to like quinn snyder um and definitely depending on what the jazz's other free agents do right i mean he's he's good friends with gordon hayward so depending on how that plays out he may just be interested in sticking around um the one interesting thing is he and gordon share an agent uh so i wouldn't be shocked to see mark bartlestein use that that hayward lever to try to get Joe a little bit more money. Um, unless Joe just says, you know what? I don't want to screw around with it. Utah's where I want to be. Um, if there's a, an earnest good offer that comes across, let's sign the thing and get it done. Um, but to answer the question, uh, sporadic, I, I think, you know, Joe's value on a good team, uh, like the jazz, by the way, um, you know, he's he's going to be a fringe starter for a good team. He's going to be a guy who can start some games and do well and, and contribute and, and can also come off the bench as a high-minute backup who will find ways onto the court because 
He can play multiple positions. He can guard multiple positions. He can defend well. He can hit shots and he can facilitate. Like he's enough of a generalist in the sense of, you know, he's not on the court because he only does one thing well. He's going to find ways to force a coach to play him. And because of that, you know, I think that fringe starter role is is really um, the way the Jazz need to think about his his pay range. We'll see where the economic value of the fringe starter role comes in this season, but I think it's going to be I think it's going to be around twelve million, ten or twelve million, um, and I wouldn't be shocked to see guys in that tier get get a little bit screwed just because there aren't as many teams with um, that that can create major cap space as everybody thinks. Like, you know, there's going to be money for guys like Blake Griffin and Chris Paul and Gordon Hayward. I'm not sure there's going to be money for every Joe Ingles on the market. Um, so because of that, I think that I think his value is going to be somewhere in there, eight to twelve million. And I think if it's north of twelve million, then yeah, at some point you have to think about saying no. Uh, so thanks for that question. Another jazz-related question here: Is there a specific order Hayward, Hill, and Ingles have to be signed? Um, asks Jacob Mitch. No, the Jazz can keep all three because of their bird rights. So doesn't matter what order they sign them in. Um, and actually, the cap holds that we talked about in part one are the way that the Jazz reserve the rights to sign those guys in in whatever order. Um, Casey Greer asks if team option guys can be traded like a non-guaranteed contract to shed money. Um, this is a really interesting question, Casey. The answer, the quick answer is no. Team option guys or or any any player whose contract could be ending because of an uh, an option. Uh, cannot be traded. Um, they can be traded after July 1st, after the moratorium. If they or the team have opted to continue the contract, um, then at that point they can be traded, but they can't be traded at the draft. The Jazz don't really have anyone in this bucket, um, but what Casey's referring to with the non-guaranteed guys is guys who are non-guaranteed can be traded that way. So for example, Boris Diaw, um, you know, it, it might it might seem like it's the same thing as a player option, but technically there's a difference. And because of that technical difference, Boris Diaw can be traded right up until his guarantee deadline of 717. And because of that, he could he could wind up being very valuable in a trade. Um, some team could need to clear space because they got the right free agent to say yes. And they could need help from the Jazz to find a player who they could acquire for roughly equal value, but then waive to to clear some room. Um, and guys like that get traded all the time. Like that's a that's a very valuable chip. And why it's especially um, interesting in Diao's case, and why I actually think it's it's pretty likely that Diao gets traded this summer, is because there are only, or were only actually six contracts bigger than Diao's that that had that scenario, okay? Here are the six. Rajon Rondo is set to make 13.4. Three million of that is guaranteed, but it guarantees on June 30th um, if he's not waived by June 30th. Now the Bulls are talking as though they want to keep Rondo um, and guarantee his 13.4 and bring him back next year. Aaron Aflalo, 12.5 million, but if he's waived by the day after the draft, 
He's only guaranteed $1.5 million. <clears throat> Gerald Henderson, $9 million. It's completely non-guaranteed if he's waived by June 30th. Tyler Zeller, completely non-guaranteed at $8 million if he's waived by July 2nd. Uh, Anthony Tolliver already was waived. Only $2 million of his $8 million uh, were guaranteed um, because he was waived by June 1st, which happened to be his birthday. And Festus Azili, $7.7 million. Only $1 million is guaranteed if he's waived by June 30th. Now, if you noticed while I was going through those, the guarantee dates on those, um, you know, taking Tolliver out because he's already he's already off this list. They already waived him. Rondo six thirty, Aflalo six twenty three, Hendo six thirty, Zeller seven two, Azili seven seven. All of those guys, not only do they become fully guaranteed uh, before Diao. But they become fully guaranteed before the moratorium has end has ended. So the only teams that can benefit from using those guys' salary to create space are whichever team owns their right when they go to bed on June 30th. And that's important because if a if a team is gonna look for one of these guys reactively because they need to create space based on what happens in free agency, really Boris Diaw is the one guy at that dollar figure that, uh, that that they can do that with after July has started. So keep an eye on Diaw for that reason. Now, if he's not traded, I still think there's a chance that the Jazz cut him, um, but then they could turn around and bring him back at the minimum salary, which the minimum salary for vets, by the way, is not insubstantial this year. It's going all the way up to two and a half million. Um, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if Diaw would stick around for that. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised, by the way, if the Jazz trade him and he gets cut, the Jazz can't reacquire him for a year. But if they trade him and then that team subsequently trades him and then he gets cut somewhere down the line, I also wouldn't be surprised in that scenario to see Boris Diaw back. JJazz3 asks, if the Jazz sign all of Hayward, Hill, and Ingles, Burks and Diaw gone as a result? Question mark. I actually think regardless of what happens, with those three free agents, J-Jazz, I think, uh, I think Burks is, is probably gone this year either way. Uh, it's just his, his salary is too helpful for the Jazz to avoid the luxury tax or to avoid the apron. So I think Burks will be traded for salary reasons. And either way, I don't think Diaw will be back with the Jazz next year at his $7.5 million salary. Um, again, could we see him back for less? Uh, potentially, yeah. Uh, Caleb Searle asked a really good question about how much the Jazz cost themselves in cap flexibility by getting Rudy Gobert's extension done already. And um, that's a really good question. And luckily for us, it's not even one we have to answer in the abstract, right? There's, um, there's firm numbers on this. So Rudy Gobert's cap hold, had he been um, a restricted free agent this summer, his cap hold would have been 6.36 million. Um, instead, he's going to count at 21.2 million because the Jazz have to use his actual salary. If he makes the All NBA First Team, or sorry, All Defensive First Team, then that number goes up by two million because there's a there's an incentive in his for, in his contract that is currently not counting as likely 
because it's based on him making all defensive team, which is something he hasn't done yet. But as soon as he has done that, that incentive is going to count as likely, and it's going to add $2 million to the cap hit for next year. So then his cap number will become $23.2 million compared to what the hold would have been um, at 6.4. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of substantial, right? It's like a $17 million difference. However, if you remember yesterday's conversation about cap holds and free agent amounts, where the Jazz actually are in terms of cap space going into free agency, it's, it's actually functionally not a difference, right? It's, um, it, it's the question of how far are they over the cap. But either way, I think the Jazz would still be operating as an exceptions team. The one place that it could make a difference is if both Hayward and Hill leave. Uh, that's the scenario where you could say, oh, an extra $17 million um, you know, could have helped Jazz get something done. Um, all right, before I jump in and go kind of lightning round through a bunch of names that people ask me about, um, Zarin F. and the Danny Hansen on Twitter asked me different versions of the same question. And I think it's an interesting question and a good way to couch the discussion before we jump into talking about Bledsoe and Rubio and Dragic and Jeremy Lin and and Jimmy Butler and a bunch of other guys. They asked what would be, again, worded differently, but what would be the best case scenario for the Jazz this offseason? Without a doubt, the best case scenario would be to add another star or kind of a quasi-star guy, but that's going to be tough for the reasons that I laid out in part one and the cap realities facing this, this Jazz team, right? Utah's Best shot at at trying to add another borderline star player is not going to be free agency. Their best shot is going to be to try to trade for one. And like we were just talking about, they don't have the best trade assets in terms of players. They, and in, in fact, at this point, I think if you're looking at players that have trade value, I think the what they really have to deal with is... Uh, Favors and Hood. Um, there are probably teams out there that still believe in Lyles a little bit. Um, Exum probably still intrigues some people. Um, but really, I, I think I think the the offer the the package that the Jazz will put together and call around with, um, if if they get aggressive and and start proactively making calls, I think. They'll see if favors plus hood plus a pick can get them in the conversation for someone who is a, a definite upgrade, a starter quality, not just starter quality, but really, a, 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 I mean, they're not going to get an all-NBA guy for that, right? Or even an all-star guy for that. But maybe you can get someone who is a little underappreciated, um, you know, did does Favors, Hood, and a pick get you in the conversation for Bradley Beal? Probably not, right? I mean, maybe Washington decides to mix things up a little bit because, you know, they fell short again in the playoffs. Um, you know, maybe they have a little bit of an existential thing this summer and, and they decide to, to, to pivot and go a different direction. And maybe that's where they'd, they'd listen. But but honestly, if they put Bradley Beal on the trade block, they'll probably get better offers than favors Hood and a pick. 
Um, could Favors, Hood, and a pick get the Jazz in the conversation for Chris Middleton? Um, again, not sure that that would be their best offer if they made Chris Middleton available. But but here's how you could, you know, like if I'm if I'm running the Milwaukee Bucks, I probably say no to that deal. But I'd stop for a second because, you know, is Hood a downgrade for Middleton? Yeah, absolutely, right? Like Hood is Hood is kind of Middleton light on offense. Um and nowhere near as good on defense. So Middleton to Hood is a downgrade. But Derek Favors would instantly become the Bucks' best pure big man. Maybe not forever, because they like Thon Maker. Um, but in terms of ability to impact games today, like Favors would, you know, right out of the gate, be their starting four or their starting five. Like that's that's not a terrible package. I don't think it gets it done, but that's not that's not a terrible package for Milwaukee if they decide to trade Middleton. Um, so so that might be the Hail Mary play right there is that the Jazz put favors and hood and some draft assets together and they see if it gets them into the conversation for players in that tier. And I'm not sure it does. And failing that, then it becomes about how you can upgrade rotation spots without giving too much away. Um, so, so for example, the Jazz are, the Jazz can trade Alec Burks for nothing in order to create the ability to pay George Hill 25 to 30 million, or they can acquire Rubio for half of that salary, right? We talked about Ricky Rubio on part one, and then maybe see if AB and a pick or AB and Lyles can be used as a consolation prize for some team that's about to lose its non-star free agent um, and wants to salvage something in return. So again, like let's just an example here. No idea if this is realistic, if this is something that that um, that they'd listen to. But let's say that the Jazz in July reach out to Patrick Patterson about playing for them, and he says yes, and he says he'd play for the Jazz for a deal starting between twelve and fifteen million. Do you call Toronto up and say, hey, your guy is leaving. So do you want to salvage some value for him? Or do you want to just let him go in free agency and not get something back? Um, I bring up Toronto because Toronto has some players like Burks, right? Like they Maybe they're a team that values some of the things that Burks does. Um, maybe they're interested in another pick. Maybe they're interested in Canadian Trey Lyles. Like that... That could be a mechanism to, <clears throat> without giving up anyone who's too central to the rotation, adding a guy in Patterson, who, who, by the way, is, you know, like Joe Ingles, he's good enough to start in certain situations, but at bare minimum, he's going to be a high, a high minute backup. Um, so, so I think, again, best case scenario is, uh, you know, the Hail Mary play we talked about. More realistically, it might be about deals like that. Um, you know, using, and by the way, using the Boris Diaw contract in the same way. Maybe Toronto or maybe another team that's about to lose its free agent um, doesn't want to bring back Alec Burks and his salary. Maybe instead what they want to do is create some flexibility. So they say, okay, trade us Diaw, who we can turn around and cut and it won't cost us any money and trade us Lyles and a pick, and then you can have our help 
signing this guy who otherwise you couldn't sign because you don't have cap space to sign a Patrick Patterson or um, or another guy. The reason I bring up Patterson a lot is because at the trade deadline, I looked at who are the guys who are, you know, more or less starter quality, who are better fits than favors, you know, meaning either they could supplant favors because they complement Rudy Gobert a little bit better, or maybe they're a player who, you know, I personally think that the idea of having a three big man rotation of Gobert, Favors, and Patrick Patterson, or Gobert, Favors, and Thaddeus Young, like that is ideal. Um, the Jazz would have so much flexibility. They'd have so many different ways that they could play. You know, they could they could start huge with with Gobert and Favors, but then have plenty of options to to bring in the spacey um, and and often energetic Patterson or or young off the bench. Like that's, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, and so is acquiring that type of guy. If the jazz have had to use favors in a separate deal. So, um, so that's the way I would think about it. Let's, um, now with just a few minutes left, I want to get to people's questions about specific players. So Floyd Royd 27, one of my favorite guys to interact with on Twitter said, what would it take to get Bledsoe or Rubio? So let's talk about Rubio first. We, we, talked about him quite a bit yesterday um and i told you all why i think that rumor has some i mean like why i think it makes some sense for the jazz uh, some other things i'd say about rubio he just switched agents um it's a little weird for a player that still has two years left on his contract to switch agents like why would you switch agents now if you weren't maybe trying to see if something could get done um his basketball value might be kind of low right now but on the other hand He's locked in for a couple of years on a reasonable contract. The Knicks are interested. So at the very least, you've got to outbid the Knicks. Um, but, you know, Rubio makes some sense. Bledsoe, you know, the buzz on Bledsoe, if you look around, if you look at basketball insiders and hoop type rumors, it sounds like the Suns aren't dying to trade him, but they recognize that they might need to embrace their youth and go young. So maybe he's a guy you could get for picks or, or more likely picks and a young prospect or two um now with blood so i think the question you have to ask is um he he plays differently from george hill right i mean significantly different player different type of point guard from george hill um so the jazz would have to make some adjustments there and maybe it doesn't matter because he's just really talented um, and he's athletic and he's strong and he's he's kind of a bull in a, in a china closet in the way he gets to the lane and gets to the free throw line like maybe, maybe you just decide, yeah, sure, we'll adjust for a player that's that good. Um, but but that's the question you have to ask with Bled. Um, Goran Dragic is someone that Cam Sparian asked about. Um, the thing is with Dragic is I'm not sure he's going to be available. Um, if if you look at Miami at a quick glance, they look like they're kind of a rebuilding team. Um, but actually, I think they're kind of where the Jazz were after the, the the season where they made the Ennis Cantor trade, where they were still outside of the playoffs. But if you looked at how they played the second half of the year versus the first half of the year, it was clear that they had kind of turned the corner already. So the Miami Heat started the year 10 and 31, but they finished 31 and 10, largely because of the great play of Goran Dragic. So I'm, I'm not sure they trade him right now. Liam asked, if uh, Jeremy Lin makes sense as a low-end starter for the number 30 pick. Um, and, and, you know, 
Jeremy Lin is a pick and roll point guard. So on that level, I guess he makes sense and he can shoot the ball. And, um, you know, Brooklyn played better. I, I covered Brooklyn for a while for FanRag before they um, converted me into more of kind of a roaming reporter. Um, Brooklyn played much better with Jeremy Lin than they played without him. I do think with only one guaranteed year left at $12 million, is what he's giving you for $12 million, you know, I, I don't know that the Jazz want to keep band-aiding this a year at a time. Draft pick for expiring point guard. Draft pick for expiring point guard. I think, I think if that's where their options are, I think that's where they, that's where they put in a phone call to Milos Teodosic, and they see if they can get Milos, who would probably come a little cheaper than twelve million, and who you could have for two or three years. And um, so I, I don't, I don't know that I see the the Lynn thing really happening. Uh, Free ride three seventy six asks if. I could see the Jazz trading for Jimmy Butler or Kristaps Porzingis. Um, the the Bulls, the Bulls thought they might be able to get the number one overall pick from Boston in exchange for Butler, and even then, the, that deal didn't happen. So that tells me that one might be. Yeah, I'm not sure the Jazz have the juice asset wise to get to Jimmy Butler. Kristaps uh, Porzingis. I let me. I don't want to say I know anything, but I'm I'm pretty convinced that the Jazz actually were pursuing Kristaps Porzingis on draft night in 2015. Um, I don't know what the package was, but we could guess at what the package was. Um, the rumor was that it involved Favors. If you remember, that was the year that that the rumor got out, and Favors was kind of pissed that he was included in that rumor, and the Jazz said, "Oh no, we were we were never considering." trading favors, but honestly, you, you don't get into the top five of the draft without offering something good. So, you know, maybe favors was in it. Maybe he wasn't. Um, and then, and then the rumor was that the reason why the Knicks wanted to trade with someone like the jazz is because they were high on Trey Lyles and they wanted that number 12 pick, right? Um, because they, they viewed Porzingis as a riskier prospect than Trey Lyles. They thought Trey Lyles as a known commodity would appeal to their fans more. And, um, and they just liked him in basketball terms. So, so if we grant the premise that the package on draft night in 2015 was Derek Favors and the number 12 pick in exchange for the number five pick, and you'll notice that Chris Tapps Porzingis is not a Utah Jazz man, right? That that deal, that package was not enough to get the Knicks to. To pull the trigger. So if that wasn't enough on draft night 2015, when Porzingis was still, I wouldn't say an unknown commodity, because I mean there's a reason he was drafted fifth overall, but he was a risky, you know, he people didn't know exactly how good he was going to be in the NBA. And when Favors was a lot better than he is today, or or at least than he's playing right now, given his injury situation. And um I don't think I have to tell you that Trey Lyle's value is probably lower than it's ever been. So if that if that package wasn't enough in 2015, I can't imagine that it's enough today. And more to the point, I just think that if they made a player like Porzingis available, they'd have, you know, they'd have better offers. It, let me put it this way. If the Jazz could get Porzingis without giving up Gobert, um I think they should 
empty the asset cupboard and go for it. Like I think Porzingis is a special player. Because he's a special player, I don't think that deal happens. Um, Utah Jazzman47 asks about Bogut on a minimum contract, backup Gobert. Um, you know, he just suffered a pretty serious injury. I'm not sure what his role would be. He's not someone that you can play alongside um, Rudy. So if you think about how we talk about favors and, oh, does favors have a future role because can he play alongside Rudy? Well, if you're signing Bogut, he would just be strictly a Rudy backup um, given his profile. And that means he's limited to 10 or 15 minutes a night. And at that at that point, I'm... You know, maybe he can find better than that. Um, J32Jam asked about Nikola Mirotic, how he fits, and whether the Jazz could afford him. Uh, I think the Jazz could afford him because I'm not sure he's going to have a market above the mid-level exception. Um, But I'm not sure the Jazz should do it because to the other part of your question, Jay, uh, about the fit, Nikola is... He's kind of like, you know, we talked, Ken and I talked in one of our recent podcasts about how the Jazz have some guys who are specialists, but who don't, who aren't great at the one thing they specialize in, right? Like Hood is a shooting specialist who shoots okay from deep. Um, Trey Lyle's whole thing, his, his MO, the reason he's in the NBA is he's a stretch playmaking four. Well, lately he doesn't make good, he doesn't make smart plays and he doesn't stretch. He doesn't make his shots. So Nikola is kind of in that category. He's a shooting big man who can't always shoot well. Um, he shoots well in stretches, but I'm just I'm not sure that he shoots well enough um, to make sense for the Jazz. I could be wrong, you know. Like maybe they're interested. Maybe maybe it's like a memo occur thing. Um, remember, that's kind of how people talked about memo occur, and then Kevin O'Connor thought, hey, that's a guy we could develop into something better, and they did so. We'll see, but I, um, I, I just, I'm not sure Miritich is good enough at the, at the thing that is supposedly his calling card. Um, there was a question about any way for the Jazz to benefit from San Antonio clearing cap room to go after CP3. There's a rumor that they might try to clear that space to go after CP3. The obvious answer here is that they'll probably have to, to do that. They'll probably have to give away Danny Green for free, and I think that's obviously interesting for the Jazz. But before you get excited about that, I would just say that the reality is that CP3 to the Spurs is really difficult to engineer. Um, The amount of salary cap that they would have to clear to get that done is is substantial. Pau Gasol will probably opt in. um, And if he does, then they're currently sitting at... um, I mean, they'd need they'd need to clear about thirty million in salary, um, and that's by the way, if they talk Manu into retiring, and they don't re-sign Joel Anthony, Patty Mills, and Dwayne Dedman. That means you pretty much have to give away Danny Green, and you almost have to give away Lamarcus Aldridge. Now, are the Spurs ready to do that? Maybe because CP3 and Kawhi would be a pretty special way to start a. A, a team, right? Like those are two top ten players when they're when they're healthy and playing. Um, that could be worth it, but I'm just saying I wouldn't assume that the Spurs are going to run out and on the first day of free agency just give away Danny Green for free. Um, if that's where they're at, the Jazz will certainly listen. Don't get me wrong, but I I just think it could be a long shot. 
I was asked about Clarkson for Burks. Um, I don't think Clarkson is a great fit. The reason that the Jazz need to trade Burks is because his salary doesn't really. Um, let me put the, let me put it another way. His skill set and his profile don't really justify his salary. Um, Clarkson has kind of a similar skill set and kind of a similar similar salary and contract left. So I'm just not sure that 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 gets them out of money trouble, which is the reason why they'd be moving Burks in the first place. I was asked about Mello, and I don't think Mello is a great fit. I don't think he's a great fit age-wise, culturally. Um, I, I, I don't think the Jazz are interested in Mello. So I, I do think it'll be an interesting offseason. Uh, I think that, you know, through smart trades, through value signings, um, opportunistic moves, and then, of course, players continuing to get better, um, I, I think that's the path, the path to the Jazz continuing to be relevant. Uh, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, thanks for listening. This is part two of a Q&A podcast um, answering your off-season questions. We may do this again as the uh, draft and free agency period get closer. But in the meantime, keep enjoying this uh, intriguing off-season, and we'll talk to you soon here at SaltCityHoops.com. <laughs>